Hello and welcome to another episode of the Best Picture Must Be Doing Something Right podcast. I'm here with Chris. Hey, nice to be back. Yes, it is. It's nice to have you back on. Uh, I'm Joseph. I'm your host. And before we get started, I just want to thank everyone for their support with the podcast recently. Surpassing, we've just surpassed a uh, hundred listens on podcast apps only. So that's pretty mad. Um, especially as I haven't had any guests or anything on yet. Um, so oh. or anything like that. So, well, yeah, hopefully in the pipeline, but I, I doubt it. So. Um, so thank you everyone. Anyway, going off topic there. Uh, th- thank you everyone for um, for tuning in this far, and I hope you're enjoying the show, and we'll continue listening to it in the future. Well, I hope to put a lot more episodes out for you. Um, anyway, on with today's show. It is um, it is a film that I've wanted to see for a while. Like I've always been pretty good with getting all the best picture nominees watched in recent years like i've been following the oscars closely since like 2013 the uh 12 years of slave year and i've seen all of them apart from but before this before i watched this uh, it was all of them apart from three and i haven't seen the other two because they're made by very despicable people and i'd rather not support them but this is for, <laughs> this is the other film um which isn't made by a despicable person it's a actually from a director that i admire very much and it is adam mckay's vice written and directed by Adam McKay, and it stars Christian Bale, Amy Adams, Steve Carell, Sam Rockwell, Eddie Marsden, and Alison Pill, and Jesse Plemons, and Bill Camp. Uh, <laughs> continuing naming names there. And uh, yeah, basically the film is the story of Dick Cheney, an unassuming bureaucratic Washington insider who quietly wielded immense power as vice president to George W. Bush, reshaping the country and the globe in the ways that we see still feel today and essentially what the film is doing is it's sort of like a hybrid of the biographical film and a sort of like political borderline satire borderline docudrama isn't it it's between those sort of like it's a mismatch of genres so it opens with with a straight like biographical like um rise to power sort of thing and and then second half, it more moves into what was going on when uh, Cheney was in the White House as VP to uh, George W. Bush. It, it, this film sort of completely flew under my radar. I wasn't aware of it till you mentioned it to me last week to say, right, you should. Yeah, watch. So, yeah uh, I thought it'd be your sort of film because you love yeah. that uh, bloody George Bush uh, gif. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. That, there is that. Yeah, the scene was the... in it. I was, I, I was laughing. I was like, I shouldn't, but it's funny. I was ready to get my phone out to send a picture of it, but they didn't show the mission accomplished. No, they cut it out. I was disappointed. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I mean, I didn't know what to expect going into it. I thought it might be. I didn't expect it to be what it was that way because I mean, to me, it reminded me very much of The Big Short. In that yeah, big, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's carbon copy, isn't it? Like McCabe, yeah. Adam McKay moved from. Do straight comedy film, so it's his collaborations with Will Ferrell, uh, very noticeable anchorman, Tyler Nice, Step Brothers et al. And this is a another collaboration with Will Ferrell. Actually, uh, Will Ferrell is a producer on the film, but it is very much in the territory of uh, the Big Short, which he made basically with with in mind that he was basically told he could make whatever film he wanted, and that film want, that he wanted to make was a Big Short. You know, he made so much money from comedy; it's got to a stage where to short to um pursue his career in like in other directions then this was a that was a good place to go with it and um 
And so it, feel, it follows a sort of similar structure in the way that the explanation of specific events in, in a visual style, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and it, obviously, it's quite a heavy subject, the whole, the whole story, um, yeah. especially the last half where he's in the White House and, you know, the invasion. I mean, hang on, just before we go any further, with spoilers, this is a historical event and quite a recent one. So what's yeah. spoilers yeah. here? Um, I think there are spoilers in the film because there's one specific moment uh, that I, is like it isn't a spoiler for like the plot or anything, but it's so bizarre that I think you should go in not knowing that it's a that that's a thing. Um, but there are some um, elements that are just like to how the film works. I think w- would be spoiling it more than anything else. But yeah, ever, everything that happens is is like wide knowledge and that's sort of like the issue that comes with the film is that like with the big short it's explaining things um that people wouldn't know about while this is explaining things that a lot of people would know about but just wouldn't be bothered to to um to look into it's a very audience conscious film isn't it in terms of like um it's it's a film made for uh first of all an international audience and second of all it's for people that wouldn't want to be reading a book or watching a documentary on this subject matter it makes it um accessible for them and in the, in that sense i think it is successful in terms of how you know watchable so, and borderline entertaining it is i think it's made dick cheney who let's be fair i mean a very interesting person in terms of what he managed to achieve i use the word achieve loosely yeah I mean, he's a politician. It's quite dry subject matter, isn't it? I mean, yeah, the invasion of Iraq, obviously, and stuff like that, very massive events. Uh, yeah. But uh, when you're seeing sort of the insider political element of it, it can be quite dry. And so I think it does a very good job of portraying that in a way that's engaging and sort of informative at the same time. So you can actually learn quite a lot from watching the film about sort of not just about Dick Cheney and, uh, you know, his life, but also the processes of, you know, the uh, the upper, well, the executive branch of the United States government, which I think it does do quite well. Because it's basically what it's doing is there's this title card that comes up before the opening credits. Well, there's there's the there's a book in before that, like um like the film opens with the most dramatic scene that was going to be in the film. Um, and um, that's a similar technique to what was used in Gus Van Sant's Milk, which I wasn't a fan of. Um, I was a big fan of the film, don't get me wrong, but I didn't like that he did that um, at the beginning of that film. And the same thing here, I, I don't think that was necessary. Uh, but the title card that was, um, after you learn sort of like what he was like before he became a politician, there's the title card and then he moves into his career in politics. But the title card that comes up is sort of like, be, be, beware the quiet man. Yeah. And for, you know, while everyone else is is going ahead and talking there, he's the one scheming and he's the one that's going to strike sort of thing. And Very uh, uh, ominous tone, that message, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's basically what the whole premise of the film is, that it's sort of like uncover- uncovering how this guy, which doesn't, who doesn't show any real like leadership qualities or anything, like there's that really painful uh, yeah. scene where he's trying to, uh, get people to vote for him in in and Wyoming. Of course, he's grappling as well with like serious heart conditions his entire life. So yeah, yeah. So so everything is like very straight faced, and that's where Christian Bale comes in. He's he's it's like he's in a different film almost because of how straight he's playing it and how subtle he's playing it. Um, in comparison to sort of the riotous elements which which go wrong wrong around side him. But sort of like the central theme is that 
how this guy has managed to fraud his sort of fraud his way. Yeah, I'd also... say finesse. Maybe not so much fraud. Yeah, yeah. Not I think he's was... very knowledgeable, but also how easily swayed the American public were at the time. And also, as well as other politicians he was working with, how he was able to sort of get one up on them. Yeah, it was scheming in the background how he's going to take take them down within sort of thing. Um, but not. But the film is very open about it not knowing much about the sub- subject matter. Like, I think in the opening scene, it sort of says that that no one really knows what Cheney was was up to. He was um, everything was tight lipped, and there's this whole thing about the recording of emails as well. A lot of the t- a lot of the um, hundred thousand emails went missing. Yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff went under the radar, and that—that's also that whole email thing is sort of like it's very much a, a very conscious um, attempt at saying something else, and it is very much told from the perspective of you know a Trump era film. Yeah, and oh, yeah. Uh, and that becomes very clear uh, yeah. ve- later on in the film, which I which I won't talk about now, um, which we'll talk about later. And do you feel like? The film is helped by having um, McKay's sort of liberal agenda or or clear distaste for I mean, Cheney at the helm. I mean, myself, uh, I've got a bias against him as well. Yeah, it's it, understandable. It made it easier to watch, I suppose, because obviously it's sort of agree. You know, I can sort of agree with the uh, the standpoint it's coming from, but I didn't feel it was that strong, especially in the no. first sort of half. There was yeah. no, you know, it was really just a straight retelling. It was only when he got into the White House. Obviously, that's when the really bad stuff started to happen when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't as strong as I expected it to be, but it was definitely still noticeable. Which is which probably explains why they have the 9-11 scene at the start. So you get the idea that this guy was doing, you know, acting unlawfully or straight away. Like- so you're not told, so you know, like, when when the film is going through the bits where it's like getting up to the rise of power that, you know, he's portrayed as a family man. He's portrayed as someone from humble roots and stuff like that. Actually it is worth noticing in the film. It does make a point that it wasn't so much. He was acting unlawfully, but it was more that he was interpreting the law differently. Yeah. That's all it is. Like it's getting around other things, isn't it? Sort of uh, pushing it as far as he can. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And sort of like with McKay's style uh, in this film, I, I do think he has improved as a director from um, The Big Short, but I think he's lessened in terms of the way that he's he tells his story. I don't think he tells it in the right way because um, there's, a, there's this real tonal shift which happens where it's sort of like half comedic, half dramatic, and then... Also, like this, this film is categorized as the Golden Globes as a comedy, which I'm not really sure is the right way to go about it. But also, in terms of, um, there, there was a lot of implication that a lot of it was uh, improvised, which is very difficult when you're doing a historically set film. I think you can do that a bit more with a film like The Big Short because that was a lot of riffing um, with that, and it's sort of like, um. It's more like information based, I guess. Well, with yeah. this, it's sort of like because it's because it's period based over like several decades, it's much more difficult. And I saw um, saw someone saying about how Christian Bale had to know 
when he was improvising, the things that Cheney would know at the time in order to construct the scenes. And I feel like that sort of like hurts it in a way. That, I suppose the side is though, because obviously they didn't, as it says at the start, you know, it's as close as they can be to sort of the story because they don't have a lot of the information. There isn't, I don't think there's much that can be done to help that. Like they've got to work with what they've got and just sort of weave a narrative as best they can. So yeah. when you said that you don't think the narrative, you know, it could have been as, you know, it wasn't as good as it could have been in terms of how it tells the story. I agree with you on the tonal side of things. It does sort of oscillate quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how the narrative progresses throughout, I think it's as good as they could have done, again, with the information they've got. Which Yeah. It tries to go too heavy with the analogies for me, I think. There's a lot of analogies which don't really have because it doesn't like stick the landing with them. Yeah, it doesn't have an end goal. It sort of comes with, with uh, again, which is another issue I find is the whole idea of like the compilations. Like in the Big Short, there's this absolutely unbelievably well edited sequence right at the beginning, which sort of said a lot about how the housing market and culture during 2008 was, which led to the the market crash. And there's this absolutely mind blowing sequence, which is sort of like this is some of the best editing you'll see, and then and then the sort of like similar kind of ways is are, are done here, where they sort of like tell go through time by by taking specific moments from history and put them in there or certain images. But for me, it was sort of like it's sort of it's sort of like I think there's two ways to look at the film. There's the production side and the post-production side because I feel like the scenes that are that are directed and acted and things like that are they're well they're well made, yeah, right? and they're about as good as they can be in terms of not knowing what the actual what the actual point of discussion would be, how they would have interacted in the life. There's realistic. some that's, yeah, it's a realistic portrayal of stuff, and it's helped by having such a wonderful cast who all deliver fantastic performances, right? But in the in the post-production I think kills it a bit because what it does is try to be too many things it's sort of like edited like a YouTube video you know like when someone's saying something and then they don't have enough shots of it so they put in another shot from somewhere else and put in random um, sequences like I was I was watching the the Mark Kermode in, uh, review of the film earlier and the clip that they showed in that was the one where uh, basically, um, so Sam Rockwell as George W. Bush is asking Dick Cheney to become his vice president. And it's really weird, like, Cheney's speaking, and then you suddenly get this shot of him laughing, and then you have the, the fishing cut, and it's sort of like, yeah. it's really, really weirdly edited. Okay, and... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose a point to you. What do you think of the whole narration side of it with the character of Kurt? I mean, it's difficult because, um, because we don't learn about who he is yeah, exactly. later on in the film, which I won't talk yeah. about now. Um, I do like Jesse Plemons, so he is he, he's a brilliant actor and very reliable actor in like supporting roles and stuff. He's been in a lot of sort of the major films recently, and he's always someone that you can rely upon. I, I don't think it works to the extent that it possibly should because he's sort of like telling the story when he's not really, you know, there. We were talking on the last episode about the narration in Million Dollar Baby. And sort of the issues that came with that was that it was told from Morgan Freeman's character's perspective, who isn't there in all of the scenes. 
and we don't know whether you know he was actually there or or not at times and there's these random shots of him like looking on and it's sort of like is that from that scene or not and that's sort of the issue that comes with it here is that you have someone that's not involved in the action at all who's very separate suddenly okay. becoming I, I, that major involvement in when, in how the narrative is told. What sort of come together? I think that does pay off quite well, like, you think? Yeah, it but, does pay off well. Uh, but there was one point, I'm pretty sure there is one point in the film where it's not uh, Jesse Plemons comment, like, doing the... Uh, yeah. It switches, doesn't it? I think it's Christian Bale doing it. I can't remember. Is it? I don't think it would be. <sighs> I, I really don't know. I, I, I doubt that he'd be doing Definitely any of Definitely someone else. It, it, it does have a lot of that's the only place where apart from one other example of the fourth wall break which was the which was like the main element of the big short if you remember anything about the big short you'll know the whole the whole like margot robbie in the bathtub explaining situation where it's sort of like the way that they tell stuff through like a visual way like how can i tell this in the most entertaining way possible and the film does do that for the fourth wall break through um, how we see Jesse Plemons' character. I don't think that's particularly necessary, apart from the sequences when he's actually fighting in Iraq. I think at the other points, I don't think it's as necessary. Uh, Christian Bell has a fourth wall break at the very end as well. Yes, he? yes, he does, which I won't talk about. Right the uh, <laughs> odds vibes, I was like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't it? That's exactly what it, it reminded me of that video that uh, Kevin Spacey tweeted. Do you remember? All right, yeah, yeah. I know. And I was just like, oh, don't like watching that. Yeah, but I think it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. Oh, that, that scene. His whole character at the end is supposed to make you feel quite uncomfortable. Yeah. In fact, the whole uh, end but... makes you uncomfortable. But then again, I don't feel like the film has a real, like, killer edge standpoint to it, where you sort of like, it all comes together and like, oh, I get that. Or, oh, mate, what is that sort of thing? It doesn't have that kind of moment. It doesn't put you on the edge of your seat or or do anything that's sort of like mind-blowing. I think because I it's feel... sort of played so straight, it's sort of like it becomes an issue. Because it's, it's sort of played straight, but also trying to go elsewhere, and it's trying to be a commentary. I think it's just trying to be too many things at once. Yeah. I feel there was a moment like that for me in the film, and that was, it. I expected it to be sort of, you know, 9-11 going into it. Yeah. That becomes like a, it becomes like a... Almost a side not, show. Yeah, because of, it's all about the after effect of it. I feel like the the things about Iraq are portrayed really well and I think it makes that narrative shift at a good point because I remember when I was watching The Big Short it becomes pretty tiresome after a while the whole you know jargon explaining stuff people in rooms talking and Iraq isn't it where they have like the cut of all like the countries either agreeing or disagree so yeah yeah again I'll screen except Tony Blair yeah, I'll I'll, t- I'll talk about that in the uh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, in the spoiler section because there is a specific moment in that which I think like is it's like unbelievable. But um, but yeah, I do think um, it does make that shift at the right point. I found the second act probably more watchable, and I sort of wish it was the film was more that than what it is because I don't think it knows enough about its sub- about its its main subject, uh, Dick Cheney, in this example, to, to sort of work as a full biopic. So it has to make that sort of shift later on. And I think I'd rather see the, the techniques that were used at the time in terms of um, sort of like, I don't know, sort of like sidetracking the American public into believing that what they were doing was right and getting away with stuff. There's the theories that are 
explained in terms of like, oh, if the president does it, then it's not a legal sort of thing. Yeah. Those kind of things. I find that stuff really interesting. But then again, um, that's not what I think McKay's sort of like real focus on the film was. But it, it just seems a mismatch of too many things. I don't think the film is bad by any extent. I think, no, I think it's a very if the film was bad, it would be very boring. Like yes, I agree. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I, I, I found it watchable. I wasn't bored that many times. <laughs> there was the odd occasion where he's like, "Okay, get get on with it," sort of thing. But for a two-hour, twelve-minute film about politics, I think it's as entertaining as it can, yeah, possibly be. Um, so we'll leave it for for that bit in terms of um the plot. We'll talk about more about that in a sec. Um, just want to talk about its awards performance because it, I think it did a lot better than it probably should have done uh, at the Oscars. It was, I know a lot of people were saying about how surprised they were that it did so well, but uh, because I feel like it's difficult to find real how you can feel real passion towards it, really. And it was sort of one of those ones which became touted as a contender early on before anyone had seen any of the films how it seemed on paper. I don't think it's an Oscar Beatty film in practice, though. Um, but because of how well The Big Short did and some of the actors involved uh, have been, you know, Academy favourites in the past, that's sort of like... Just because the film was passable enough, it sort of became successful with the Academy. But then again, I do feel like this year, uh, the the year of 2018, the, the 91st Academy Awards, um, is very interesting as a case study because <laughs> what it was was that year it seemed to go against everything that the Academy had been trying to achieve post Oscar So White. Um, because, like, there's there's this feeling that, like, the Academy has their favourites in terms of if a specific director makes a film that year or a specific actor makes that film a film that year, then it's going to be Oscar-nominated. But if you look at the nominees for Best Picture this year, I don't think it's a particularly strong year. Like, I think my... Probably my favourite of them is probably A Star is Born, and that's not a film that I think I absolutely adore. I just like it. And there's a couple of films that I just like, like The Favourite, Black Clansman, Black Panther, and Roma, I think are all sort of a similar level, and then the rest are just okay um, to not very good. Um, and that year you had films made from Peter Fallery, who made Green Book, you have Adam McKay, who made Vice, and uh, Brian Singer, who made uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, right? These are not well-acclaimed directors. These are directors that have made a lot of um, pretty bad to mediocre films and have not really had much critical acclaim in their career. Yet they all got films nominated for Best Picture. One of them won Best Picture with um, with Green Book, right? Um, if you think, like, no, Peter Fallery, he was making, like, he was making like um, Dumb and Dumber back in the day, you know those kind of those kind of films that gross out comedies, you know. And not nominated that year were films like Widows, directed by Steve McQueen, obviously Oscar winner for Twelve Years a Slave. You had If Bill Street Could Talk, um, directed by Barry Jenkins, Ballad Buster uh, Scruggs, um, which made by the Coen Brothers. Obviously, both Jenkins and Coen Brothers are Oscar Oscar winners as well. Directed Oscar winning films in Best Picture. And also there was uh, First Man from Damien Chazelle, which was expected to be a big awards contender as his follow-up to La La Land, but yeah. ended up doing pretty poorly uh, that year. But the thing is with those films, they were all well more acclaimed than Vice, than Green Book, and than um, Bohemian Rhapsody. So if you look at like the Rotten Tomatoes and the Metascore um, uh, scores, right, 
they're way better. They're way higher than the films that are actually nominated for best picture. I so mean, it's, it's, it's a real anomalous year. Uh, do you think there's an explanation, or is it just? I think, I think it's just the campaigns. I think. What like? So, sort of... How so? As in, like the way that they get through to voters. So, like um, putting on events and putting on screenings and sending out. Uh, screeners, stuff like that, just getting people to watch the films. And I think they're more watchable films as well, especially on on screeners, while the other ones are more like of technical achievements. I, I don't think like it's weird though, because I don't think like any of those other films are particularly amazing personally. Um, but they are, you know, better made films. They're, they're more sort of like accomplished films and they're more critically acclaimed films. I, I really don't know what happened this year. The, which saw those things happen, especially with Green Book winning Best Picture, which has come to be known as widely known as the worst film to win Best Picture for the last decade or longer. Like it shouldn't have won Best Picture at all. It's one of the worst films nominated that year. Have you already reviewed that on here? Because I haven't. I, I have because I, I don't really want to watch it again. Come on, let's go. <laughs> have you seen it? No, I haven't. I haven't. We might have to do that on a on a later show then. I don't think the film is terrible, Green Book. We talk about it a lot because I always use it as the benchmark for bad Best Picture winners. But um, but I don't think the film is absolutely awful. It just should not be in, it should not be worthy of winning Best Picture. Anyway, back to talking about Vice. Um, the film did not do that well. Critically, it was sixty-one on Metascore, which isn't great. Um, but again, uh, but it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Original Screenplay, Best Film Editing, and Best Makeup and Hairstyling. Yeah, Which it was. Yeah, deservedly, I think. Well, I mean, from what I saw, it was very impressive. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I just want to talk about quickly about Sam Rockwell's performance as George W. Bush. I thought he was, uh, for me, he was the best performer in the film. Yeah, but he doesn't really do anything. No, but I just thought he nailed the mannerisms, how he how he behaves. He nailed George W. Bush. Like, I get it, yeah. But I feel like... It was the laugh. The laugh. As soon as I heard the laugh, I just thought, oh my God, that's perfect. Like he doesn't look like George W. Bush in the I film. I think he does a little bit. I think he looks it, more it, like him than Josh Brolin does. Uh, but his mannerisms, how he behaves, how he talks, he got it perfect. Yeah, I get that. I, I just don't think he should have been nominated. Personally. It's not. It's not just how. Uh, it's not just how he talks, but it's sort of how what he says as well. His mannerisms, how he behaves to. Um, how he behaves to Cheney. The scenes where he's just basically accepting everything that Cheney says. Just actually, that that did make me laugh quite a lot because it's perfect. It's such an accurate representation of what I think George W. Bush was in that relationship. I just thought he he, he nailed it perfectly. Yeah, I I, do, I just don't think that role was particularly well Obviously, written yeah, enough like, for major. Role. It, it is it is a very minor role. As yeah, you know, I can't think Steve Carell's a better performance in the film personally. And because, he had a bigger role as well. Yeah, I thought I thought that would have been more sort of a contender uh, for awards when he w- really wasn't at the time I remember um, but then I suppose the difference for me is I don't really know much about Donald Rumsfeld who Carol was playing so yeah, yeah so, like, I, I love Steve Carell anyway he was asking on me for Foxcatch a few years back and I feel like he worked so well with McKay because um, he's he previously worked with him on like Anchorman and that and um, worked with him previously on Big Short as well he gets the improvisation side of it spot on yeah. because he, obviously if you know anything about Steve Carell you know he went through Second City in Chicago, which is uh, well known in the world as like the biggest place for doing improv. So he just gets that down and he gets more of the comedic moments in the film. Like, uh, and and I love the touch that, you know, 
uh, if you remember the end of the final scene of Anchorman, it said that that Brick becomes a part of George Bush's uh, cabinet. Yeah. And this is why that's exactly the role that he plays in this film, directed by the same director, which I think is a nice touch. Uh, a lot of people thought that Amy Adams was going to uh, win supporting actress before like, the start of the season. Ultimate boomer, to be honest. Like, that is the yeah. plan. What I mean, she... I think her performance is very good when it allows it to be. Yeah. Like, the scenes where she's doing the campaign trail on yes. behalf of Cheney, I think she really thrives. I think she does really, really well in those scenes, but it's just so poorly written towards the end of it. Gives her nothing to do. She's quite restrained there. That's what I was going to say, where she becomes... She almost becomes sort of a background character at the end, doesn't she? Yeah, so... it's a shame, really. Just becomes the wife character instead. And when I feel like there's so much more to her than that. The scene and that her performance needed well. better than that. An ultimatum to Cheney, well... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that she started it with uh, two times. Probably talking about you know, Chelsea's winning the Champions League twice, but <laughs> that's all in. I was thinking of. <laughs> get it in, come on. <laughs> yeah, let's get it in somewhere. That's immediately the first thing that came to mind. Anyway, and um, I do think Christian Bale should have won best actor this year, potentially him or Bradley Cooper. Shouldn't have been Rami Malek. Um, but I feel like a performance like Bale's is never going to win in lead actor. Like the closest you'll come is probably um, Cassie Affleck in Manchester by the Sea in terms of like a social performance winning the lead acting categories. You see more in supporting actors. So, like, for example, Mahershala Ali in Moonlight, I think, is a very restrained performance, which doesn't, you know, go over the top in any way. Like a lesser actor than Bale would really struggle here because yeah. it doesn't have that big scene. It, it doesn't explode. It doesn't do crying. It doesn't shout. Like everything is just so level all the time and he's very thoughtful in his performance so he does like it's called the oscar pause right so instead of the the oscar scene that he has i don't think he has an oscar scene so per se but he does have the oscar pause which is like when you're saying something and then there's a dramatic pause and then you say it again like so like as such and because he does it in his like dick Cheney's gravelly sort of voice um which is so good like all the time sort of thing stuff like that um makes it makes it you know that stand out in a in a different way to as if it was more obvious like if you have someone like DiCaprio or Jake Gyllenhaal in this kind of performance you would see a much broader sort of portrayal of it and this there's like you use a film like Jay Edgar as prime example for that with DiCaprio where he's suddenly like he's the one caked in all the makeup and stuff and he's still trying to do his big showy performance thing which wasn't necessary for that sort of film um though I do think there is some there are quite a few sort of like techniques that Clint Eastwood used in that film, which are comparable here. I do think um, it is very, there are particular elements to the way that McKay directs, which is um, very, uh, very much uh, similar to the way that Clint Eastwood directs. But that was just from my perspective. Um, so yeah, like he's won before though, so it's fair enough. And I do think Christian Bale is the best actor around and this film really does solidify that opinion for me, definitely. Um, original screenplay rather than being an adapted one. Do you think the film would have been better if it had been like a straight adaptation of a book about Cheney rather than well, I mean, like a collaboration of many things? I'm trying to think. I don't know because would there be You'd have to find source material, wouldn't you, to adapt? I can't yeah. can you think of something that would cover such a it's such a broad story in terms of length. It goes. Yeah. I don't know. Like I feel like McKay would have been probably better off making this as a documentary. Than a... I'm thinking at the start, I was half expecting. 
style. Yeah. You know, not a full-on documentary, but sort of like a, you know, you get sort of a hybrid, don't you? Yeah, but then it does try to do that in terms yeah. of its use of, use of archive footage. It's just non-committal the time. And there's like specific scenes where you think it's archival footage, but then you suddenly have like the real characters put in. Like, that some, reminds like, me of Forrest Gump. Yeah, exactly. That's like, the thing. That, um, like you have Nixon not portrayed by an actor, but you have, you know, his yeah. vice president. He's, he's acting and stuff like that. It seems really bizarre. It's really bizarre, but um, but yeah, I find the film editing nomination very bizarre. I wasn't a fan of the editing. I, I think it, yeah, the soundtrack like the score was solid. Well, that that was Nicholas Patel, who oh, is it... the who is the um, composer usually for Barry Jenkins films. And if if you've heard the soundtrack to like Moonlight or or if Bill Street could talk, he's an absolutely he's unbelievable. He like makes this film so much better with how good his score is, but yeah, back onto the editing. I feel like there's there's this real perception with within the academy where best editing is also like the most editing. So they've never gone for like films that have stitch editing, like Birdman or 1917 in this category. But they always go for the one with the most editing. I remember Tax of Ridge winning in this category. Um, once yeah. um, you had Ford versus Ferrari win. You know, um, you had Sound of Metal when this, uh, Whiplash, you know, films that are the most editing, Mad Max, Fury Road, ones that are sort of like obvious. Well, for me, like that's that beats the purpose of what editing is supposed to be. It's supposed to be seamless, you're not supposed to notice it. And that's sort of just, I feel the same way in terms of director. I don't think McKay should have been nominated as director here because it's such a showy, um, knowing performance. It's uh, knowing directorial, directorial style where it's done for where he's very conscious of who the audience is. I suppose, I, I agree with you on sort of editing style there, but there's an argument to be made to the contrary, where you think, obviously a lot of effort has gone into the amount of editing that's being made, so it sort of makes sense that those films get nominated more, because a lot more of course, yeah, invested into it. So you would expect that time to be rewarded more than if it was a very sort of lax edit. Not lax, but you know... Lax. Yeah, well, you don't notice as much. Yeah. Well, then again, if you look at the the winner that year was Bohemian Rhapsody, which is famous for having some of the worst editing ever put have on. You film. That? That's another film that. Have you reviewed that on here yet? Uh, no. I, again, it's one of those ones that I don't want to watch because I don't want to support a Brian Singer film. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I might watch it eventually. I've never but... seen it as well, so it's like obviously I want has... to. Yeah, I know it has a real ick factor to it because I don't think he should have been allowed to make the film. But um, he was obviously sacked midway through, but got to keep his direct directing credit, which I think is a bit off. Um, I think we'll leave it there. I just want to talk more about the spoilers, really. So, um, uh, so I think uh, basically, if anyone hasn't seen the film yet, and you don't want to hear what happens towards the end of the film, look it up <laughs> uh, in a book. You know, it is history. But no. No, there are things that, that happen in the film which I think are, are worth seeing for the first time in the film rather than us explaining it to you. So if you haven't seen the film, I'd suggest turning off now, but thank you very much for listening. Uh, but if you have heard the film and you want to hear our thoughts on the latter stages of the film, then continue listening and we'll talk about it now. All right. I want to talk about one of the compilation scenes where they have... They, it was the scene that you talk about with the, like, um, the cuts of... Hillary Clinton and and Mike Pence and uh, Tony Blair. Mike Pence's inclusion, I thought, was very deliberate. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But 
that that again it fits into my point what I was saying earlier about it, it being very much a Trump era film. I think it is one of the definitive films of the Trump era, definitely. Um, this film, but I don't get why in that sequence they have the Budweiser WhatsApp advert in it. <laughs> why on earth is that there? I don't know. That is a good point, actually. I'm what... so confused. I've, I've I've tried to look it up, and no one's talked about it on the internet. I was like, that's the first thing. That's the one thing that stuck in my mind the whole time. And I didn't want to. T- I didn't want to talk about it for anyone that hadn't seen the film before, because I feel like it's worth seeing for the first time. Because you're like, why on earth is the Waza Budweiser advert in <laughs> in the uh, sequence yeah, that is where they're talking about the Iraq War? And you know what's weird? I didn't. I didn't clock that at all. I just thought, okay, fine. I know, but I know that it's trying to like pass time, sort of thing, and that that's something that the compilations do in the film, don't they? Like, like, um, it goes from two thousand and three, right, and then suddenly, because it was sort of like the the shift from war in Iraq to war in Afghanistan, sort of thing, around that time, wasn't it? So they're trying to do that by saying that you know there was more terrorist attacks from that point. So you have like. It's suddenly 2003, but then you have the shot from the 7-7 bombings, which I think is really effective in terms of the way that that is shot. But that's in 2005. Then you suddenly have the shot of Obama being inaugurated. That's 2007. So the film sort of passes time based on your knowledge of historical events and when they happened rather than actually moving them on. This is why I feel like it tries to do too much. But then it slows right down again. Yeah. An impact on me, the heart transplant. So yeah, I I, I didn't like that. I don't that like watching really it. Really uncomfortable for me to watch. I actually got like heart, chest palpitations watching. It. I was like, oh, this is uncomfortable. It's like, like continual shots of like an actual heart. Just yeah, close-ups of the heart. It was like, Ugh. yeah, and and that's done from the what happens to Jesse Plemons' character, which was just randomly hit by a car. Yeah, yeah, he gets out of nowhere. I said, oh, okay, we see the connection there. Basically, they ha- he has a. Uh, his heart goes to Christian Bale, who was going to die from yeah. not enough oxygen going through to the, his vital organs because uh, of the I... continual heart problems that he has throughout the films, which which is done in a smart way in terms of it's not over the top or anything. They sort of like it's, he just sort of goes to people at times and just says, "I need to go to the hospital," <laughs> just out of nowhere sort of thing. But yeah, what you're right, it, you're right with terms of like uncomfortable sequences with that. But also, I feel like that's a similar case with the sort of like the way that torture is shot in film. Mm. I don't think it's necessary, especially if they're going with a more comedic element to the tone of the film, which is again why I find the tonal shifts problematic. Where suddenly you're having these scenes where you have like the false ending with the credits going up and like deliberate like comedy set pieces in with other shots where you have someone being torn apart by a vicious dog and stuff. There's like that family hiding in a racket, isn't there, whilst George Bush is giving the speech. He's sort of tapping his foot, isn't he, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Shifts to Baghdad. I feel like that's an effective scene. Yeah, it was. I thought that was a very good shot, but it's just, obviously, it's a different tone completely to the false ending or... Yeah, it's it's just few and far between those sort of things. The whole dynamic with the two daughters, obviously. Uh, So his younger daughter... Uh, was gay, yeah. So, uh, it, in real life and in the story, Dick Cheney uh, would not campaign against gay marriage, even though the, even though George W. Bush did. When that was sort of brought up in debates, uh, you know, or on campaigning, Dick Cheney was not involved. Mm. Uh, 
but what do you think of how, how that dynamic worked, how the sort of family dynamic worked? I thought it was... Yeah, it but was... that was used a bit to more, like, add more sympathy to... Yeah, I guess, which I think was a bit unnecessary. Then, uh, that's also with the scene at the funeral where it's it's implied that um, Lynn Cheney's mother was killed by an abusive partner. It is worth mentioning about the uh, with the family dynamic there with his daughter uh, that sort of gets undone in the very end. Yeah, again, it's 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 another one of those things where it doesn't stick the landing. It doesn't. I don't get like what's your point. It's just sort of that they didn't speak again after that point and that's sort of like it's just underwhelming it sets up all these things but doesn't really have an answer to them he's still alive technically still going exactly so it has no real standpoint on what it's saying it's again it's, you know it's just it's just that continued <laughs> issue it doesn't stick the landing is yeah. what it is it's, it doesn't have like a central point like if you know everything about your central character and you're you're talking about what he did sort of thing, then that's one film in itself. But this one is also trying to be a political commentary at the same time where it's supposed to have a point to it. And where I really don't think it does, um, apart from that, you know, war is bad and people were, you know, fo- put, put, into a, yeah, put into a false position of understanding because of their tactics so it's sort of the idea it's like oh it'd be easy if al-qaeda was just a country and stuff and the belief that saddam hussein was responsible for 9-11 and stuff like that how they pinned it on that uh, on that one sort of small time yeah that for me they made him famous that for me is the most like interesting part of it which i feel like it's, it's sort of stuck it's stuck within all this other messy kind of stuff but I don't know because it tries to be sort of like there's another interesting pinned down within within these sort of like elements with um, analogies and stuff. There is another interesting part with one of the sort of cards. I think very near the end where it's talking about Halliburton. So in between being vice president and being uh, was it chief of staff? Yeah. The CEO of an oil company called Halliburton, and from the invasion of Iraq, they're sort of they made so much profit, they profited so much from it, and they're sort of seen sprinkled throughout where it doesn't go into too much depth about that, but it just sort of shows it slightly, doesn't it? And then, yeah, it, it doesn't go into that, I don't think, enough. Yeah, exactly, because it's such an interesting part because it obviously it's a, it's a conflict of interest, isn't it? And that would be a really interesting point to focus on, yeah. Uh, but uh, it does just give it a nod, and it is. It's just very interesting. Yeah, becomes elephant in the room, sort of. Um, yeah, it's 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 just weird. Um, in terms of how it's a very like showy film sprinkled in with a very subtle central performance, it seems bizarre. But um, one last thing I want to talk about was the um was the final scene. So sort of after it's mid credits, isn't it? Where yeah. where the instead of having like. There's a scene earlier on in the film where they have um, a focus group where they're trying to understand people's opinions on terrorist groups and... Orpit, aren't they? They're trying to spin it so that they don't... Yeah. Oh, and also, yeah, there's also the thing which is becomes a a very focal point uh, of, sort of the way that it... the way that they uh, um, change the minds of specific American people on certain things, so like death tax and climate yes. change those terms sort of things that that's where it sort of comes from and i feel like that that part is very interesting as well but again probably more suited to documentary film rather than this kind of film and um that sort of spun as a different 
it's sort of like a sketch at the end, isn't it? Where it's suddenly set in like 2017 or 2018, um, where where you have one Republican who's saying one thing that's been bothering me, like they're like they're the audience of the film. One thing that's been bothering me throughout this whole movie is this undeniable liberal agenda. It's sort of like, and then there's the other guy that's the the more liberal guy, which is sort of saying. He's just stating facts. How is fact an agenda? And then they sort of have this fight uh, saying, um, you know, Trump was the best thing that ever happened to this country and stuff like that. I, I didn't get it. I don't get why it's... Uh... Very sort of tacked on at the end, doesn't it? There was a, a little montage just before that, so before the credits, where it's sort of, as it's coming up to the modern day, isn't it, that sort of reminded me of the end of Black Klansman. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, where... yeah. It cuts to the modern day in this sort of footage. In black I feel like that worked a lot better, though. Yes, I, I, I agree. I agree. Because that left you in a case where, oh, mate, like this is like still <laughs> so relevant now, sort of thing. It leaves you, leaves you shaken, which is sort of the point. And that's how, that's a film that sticks to landing. That's what I mean. And this is that's where this film doesn't stick to landing because it doesn't make you feel anything. You, I, you don't know what sort of thing to come out of it. You come out more knowledgeable on what what happened at a time and and American culture at that point and American politics at the time and their their relations between uh, America pre nine eleven and post nine eleven. Those kind of things I find, you know, you come out more knowledgeable, but you don't come out like like changed. If you know what I mean, like any opinions would change and stuff. And I don't think that's sort of the intention but then again i don't know what the intention of the film was it's, as again it, it does have cousin. a um liberal perspective to it but then it doesn't really sort of do anything with it it's just I yeah so, the idea of republicans wanting wanting to get offended by everything sort of yeah thing. yeah <laughs> and i think that's a good place to leave it in it for this uh this episode um any sort of final thoughts you think the film is like any good or or caught out because i'm looking obviously i've got uh imdb open and i've got the recommended sort of user list down there and the first one's coming it's got olympus has fallen i was like right that's one top political film to another straight away (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. oh yeah there we go the notebook levion rose why is that there anyway um Obviously, if you if you listen to this part of the show, you've already seen it, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend the film, but I don't think it's bad by any means. I think McKay is a very interesting filmmaker, and I'm glad that he is still making uh, films like this, and I hope he continues in the future. I'd rather make films like this than more like, you know, Holmes and Watson kind of films. Oh, of course. But, <laughs> but yeah. Um, politics or just want to sort of know more about, you know, the Iraq war that sort of build up to that and how that all unfolded it's definitely worth watching because it's a very easy way to get into that yeah definitely like I would never read a book or watch a documentary on Cheney or Bush or anything like that so it's a good good way into having a basic understanding of of what was happening at the time yeah but it's also a bit sort of tonally all over the place so (laughs) you know it's for me it's it's worth watching if you're interested in that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, that will do for today's episode. Thank you, Chris, for coming on. Thanks for having me again. Make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast wherever you on whatever app you listen to it on. Make sure to follow on Twitter at bet, at bet, 
sorry, at Best Picture underscore pod, where you'll find out all the latest things uh, to do with the podcast. And that's about it. Thank you very much for listening. And I'll see you for another episode sometime soon. Thanks. See you in a bit.